over the last couple of years, Jenny and I have really enjoyed gardening. So we've, ever since we've been married, we've done some gardening together. But since we've moved into South Portland, uh, we've, done, we've done more of that. And we started more plants inside. We love doing tomatoes. And that's a pretty easy one for us. You know, you eat a tomato, you save some of the seeds, you get to start them inside. And we'll put them in little planters in the windows uh, just to get them ready for the spring for when we're going to be putting them in the garden. This year we're doing them in planters. Uh, but there's a few things that those little tomatoes need. So they need to have good soil. So you got to have good soil. If you don't have good soil, then they're going to be wilted and kind of stunted, yellow. They won't quite be everything that they should be. Uh, but then, make sure my microphone's on, but then they also need water. So if we don't water them, they're going to shrivel up and they're going to die. So they need that water. But they also need light. If we don't give them any light, then they're going to be stringy and long and yellowed, and they're never going to bear the fruit that they should be bearing. They're never going to fully mature to where they should be to be able to be producing the fruit that they're intended to. In the same way we can think about us as believers, we have to be in the light as he is in the light. If we're going to produce the fruit that God intends us to in our lives, if we're going to grow in the way he intends us to, we need to be in the light as he is in the light. We're going to talk this morning about what does it mean to be in the light? What does that look like? So let's go ahead and let's read 1 John 5, or chapter 1, but 5 through 10. We'll read it all, and then we'll take it apart verse by verse. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if, we, uh, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. First point this morning, verse 5, the truth. What's the truth? Verse 5 again. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So this is the message. This is the message that John and the disciples heard didn't originate with them. They didn't make up this message. This wasn't something that just came to be that they stumbled upon and just happened to find this message. This is the message that they have heard. This came from Jesus Christ himself. He passed it on to them that they might know who he is because it reveals an abiding truth about who God is, who Jesus is, an abiding truth, a characteristic of who he is that we can't separate from God. So this is the message. So what's the message? It's been given to them to proclaim to the church. They're excited to pass it on. What's the message? It's God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. Again, this is an abiding truth of who God is. It's the same thing as saying God is light as God is love. God is holy. God is all-powerful. It's a characteristic of who God is. You can't remove this truth from God and he still be God. You can't remove the love of God from God and he still be God. You can't remove the, the holiness of God from God and he still be God 
In the same way, God is light. He doesn't just contain light. He doesn't simply display light. God is light. He is light. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. He's the light of the world. And we see John, and all through Scripture, but especially John loves to do this. He compares light and darkness, light showing us righteousness and darkness showing us unrighteousness. Nothing inherently wrong with darkness itself, but it's a good comparison. You can't have both mixed. You can't mix light and dark. So he's comparing and contrasting light and darkness. He's contrasting it with each other. What is light? Well, light is representing, in this case for John, it's righteousness. Darkness representing the unrighteousness, representing those things that aren't right, sin, uh, darkness, evil. Uh, looking at commentaries, it talks about there being an emphatic double negative with darkness. There's no darkness whatever in God. He is all light. He's all light. You can't have both light and darkness in the same place at the same time. God is absolutely perfect, holy, and good. So what does this light do? What does light do? It exposes darkness. What does the dark do? Well, the dark hides things. Dark covers things up. We think about when we're in the dark, what do we do? We stumble over things that we can't see. The dark, the dark keeps us from seeing where we need to go. It's not that way with God. He's clear. He's open. He's visible. He's perfect. There's nothing hidden. There's nothing hiding. There's no crookedness. He's holy, perfect, sinless perfection all the time. He is light. He is holy. He is pure. And that's unchanging. There's no shifting. There's no changing with God. That's a great comfort to us because you always know what God you're getting. You never have to wonder, what is God going to be like today? He's always the same. He's always the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's absolutely, perfectly holy and pure. You can trust Him. He's not capricious. Like so many Greek gods of this time frame, when John was writing, he didn't, he didn't shift and change like their gods did. You didn't have to wonder, what's God going to be like today? He's always holy. He's always pure. He's always righteous. He's always that solid rock that you can stand on. He's always that path that you can walk on. The same then is true for Jesus, where he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. So what does Jesus do? If he's the light of the world, what does he do? Well, he draws all men to himself. He said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. We see him, we see Jesus, and we're drawn to him. That's what the light does. It draws us to himself. It draws us to him. But the other thing that it does is that it also convicts us of sin. It exposes what's on the inside. It exposes what's really there, the real you on the inside. He sees it, and he knows it. Not only is it drawn to himself, but it convict, convicts us of that sin that we know is there. Um, my basement, it's kind of a dark, dreary, nasty place. Mark Williams has been down there doing electrical work. He didn't stay down there very long, uh, not any longer than he had to. I only have one little light bulb that kind of sits up in the middle, or kind of towards the stairs, so I don't fall down the stairs as I'm going down, but it doesn't shine into all the corners. I kind of like it that way, because if it was extra bright, I would see all the dirt and grime and all the nastiness that's down there. I don't want to see any more than I have to, but don't we kind of do this with God sometimes when we look into His Word? 
We say, God, this is good. You can look over here, shine your light over on this side of my life because this looks pretty good. Yeah, I know this is a mess over here. I know that's a little bit, I'm cleaning that up. It's okay, you know, don't worry about it. I know it's a mess, just, you know, you know look, over here's great. Let's come over here. Sometimes we do that. The light exposes our sin. It exposes the, the grime and the filth and the dirt, those things that shouldn't be in our lives, those things that don't belong there. That's what that light does. It convicts us. It shows us of the mess that's there. God, who is light, reveals who we are. There's no hiding from God, no hiding from his probing light. He sees just exactly who we are. And when we're in sin, that's terrifying. We don't want that to be exposed. We don't want people to see that. We don't want God to know that. He sees it. He knows it. There's nothing hiding from him. But when we're in Christ, that's an awesome thing. Yes, there's conviction of sin. But he sees me. He sees you. And he knows you for who you are. Dirt and all. Dark places and all. He sees you, he knows you, and he loves you anyway. That's a comforting thought, that even though he does see my sin, he loves me. He's not going to leave me that way, but he loves me. He sees all of it. There's no hiding from God. There's nothing that I can keep from him. And then his light reveals the truth of what he's done, and I get to show that off. Say, here's what I was. Here's the truth of who he is and what his light and his work within me has done, and then I can show that off. I like to show that off. Maybe not the dark, dingy places, but I can show off the work that he's done to clean up those things because he is light. He is holy. He is pure. That's an abiding truth of who he is. That doesn't change. That doesn't shift. You can stand on truth. Truth is good. It grounds us. It gives us something to fall back on and to stand on solidly when the lies of this world are swirling around us, trying to move us, trying to shape us, trying to rock us off course. We can stand on the truth of God's word and not fall for those lies. Sometimes, though, we like to tell ourselves lies or tell lies to those that are around us. And here John then goes in in the next few verses to mention three lies that we might tell others, tell ourselves, and ultimately tell to God. So first we have the truth. God is light. But then we're tempted to lie to others about the fellowship that we have and how we really are spiritually. So let's read verses 6 through 7. Verse 6, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Frank Abagnale is a very interesting person who had a talent for lying and deceiving He started giving talks in 1977, and he talked about all these different things that he did, criminal exploits that he did between the ages of 16 and 21, all these things that he was able to lie to people and convince them that he was this. Yes, I actually am a doctor. I have the ability to practice medicine here at this hospital. Yes, I am a pilot. He convinced people of all kinds of different things. Here's a few of them that he says he did. He was a doctor in a Georgia hospital for one year, 
an assistant state attorney general for one year, a sociology professor for two semesters, and a Pan American Airlines pilot for two years, among other things that he did. He had all these people convinced, and he actually did these things. He wrote a book about it. There was a movie produced called Catch Me If You Can. I don't endorse the movie, but the illustration works. He lied his way into all kinds of things, convincing people he was just exactly who he said he was, when in reality, the truth was something far from it. Not only did he lie about all these things he did, but he forged thousands of checks for thousands of dollars worth of goods and services. And eventually he was caught. Eventually he did have to pay for his crimes. In 1967, he founded Abagnale & Associates. Abagnale & Associates, you say, what does that do? It is, it advises companies on secure documents. In 2015, Abagnale was named the AARP Fraud Watch Ambassador, where he helps to provide online programs, community forums, to educate consumers about ways to protect themselves from identity theft and cybercrime. Whether he says he's cleaned himself up or not, I'd still be a little bit suspicious if that was his background. All of that, he lied through all of those things, convincing people he was just exactly how he said he was. Yes, he was this. Yes, he was like that. Yes, he was able to do these things. He said he had fellowship he didn't have. We might lie to each other and say, yes, we have a fellowship. We have a unity with Christ that we don't actually have. It's not exactly how we say it is. We're tempted to lie to each other, to sugarcoat things and cover stuff up. It's not exactly the way that we've made it out to be. It's not exactly as good as it actually is. We're hoping people won't find out. And this whole time we're lying about that fellowship that we have with each other and with God. Fellowship here is the same kind of fellowship we talked about last week. We have a fellowship with Christ because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross We have a fellowship with him when we've accepted that free gift of salvation. Jesus said in John 17, I in them and you in me. We have a fellowship with Christ because of the work of Jesus Christ on that cross. And because we have a fellowship and and are united with him, we then have fellowship with other believers. We have a special bond with each other that the rest of the world doesn't experience. They don't experience the same thing that you and I get to as believers. But we lie to each other about that. Why? We get pretty good at that. We get pretty good at lying about the fellowship that we have. We look okay on the outside, but underneath is something very different. Fellowship with God and with each other can't be in words only. Fellowship isn't something you can just say and it's true. Fellowship is far more than that. It's actions that go along with that. Walk here in the phrase, walk in darkness, means that ongoing course of action. This is who you are, inwardly and outwardly. This is who you are. This is the way that you live your life. And your life is going to be seen for what it is. If you're walking in darkness, your life is going to be marked by sin rather than the life of Christ in you. And when you're surrounded by the light of God's Word, you're surrounded by other believers who are demonstrating and showing the life of Christ and the light that is in them because they have Christ in them, the light of the world. And if you have the Holy Spirit within you, you can only walk in darkness so long before it is seen just for exactly what it is. It's a lie. You've been walking a lie. You've been living a lie. You lie and you don't practice the truth. It's seen just exactly for what it is. It's exposed. The truth is really seen. Now it's no longer a good lie because they see see it right through. 
They see right through. You don't actually have the fellowship that you thought you did or you've said you did. But verse 7 says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, again, that's your life. You have a chance to walk in the light as he is in the, in the light. Your daily ongoing course of action needs to demonstrate the life of Christ that is within you. It's the light of the world. You shouldn't be able to hide that. You should be walking in the light as he is in the light. So how do we do that? What does that look like to continue to walk in the light as he is in the light? How do you walk in his unchanging, his abiding character and nature of who he is? Well, we do that through his word. That's where we read about who he is and what he wants, us, wants for us. And we know how to obey him and to live for him is through his word. So how do we walk in the light? We walk in the light of his word. We let his word penetrate our hearts, penetrate our minds, change us, shape us into being more like Jesus Christ. And that's then going to be seen. You're not going to be able to hide that. Now, are you always going to be perfect at it? Of course, you're not going to be perfect at it. We still live in sin-affected bodies. We're no longer under the power of sin. Christ's sacrifice covered that for us. We're no longer under the power of sin, but we still live in the presence of sin. There's sin all around us. We have God the Holy Spirit working within us. Sin doesn't have a hold on you anymore. You've been set free from the power of sin. Someday you'll be set free from the presence of sin. We still have a choice here on this earth to make the right decision, to walk in the light or to walk in the darkness. We're to walk in the light as He is in the light. He gives us the power to do so. And as we do that, as we walk in the light, that's seen by others. It's seen for what it really is, that we belong to Him. And even though we're not perfect at it, we ought to show some progress, that we are a little bit more like Jesus every single day. The New Bible Commentary says there ought to be steady, if unspectacular, progress. Often that's just how that feels. There aren't those huge milestones that were hidden every day or every week or every month. Occasionally we see those, and those are awesome, but often it's that steady, if unremarkable progress, a little bit more like Jesus every single day, because we're letting the truth of his word shape us and change, guide us and transform us into displaying and reflecting that light just a little bit better. We shouldn't be able to hide that. That's then going to be able to be seen in our lives, in the fellowship that we have, and in the continuing work of Jesus Christ, continuing work of His blood, continuing to work and cleanse us from all sin. Because when Jesus saved you and forgave you for your sins, His blood was effective for the sin right there at that moment, and all the sins previous, but also for everything ongoing as well. He's forgiven you. You are going to mess up. There are going to be times when you choose to, well, I always talked to kids about going your way rather than going God's way. Sometimes we choose to do that. His blood covered that sin as well. The cleansing work of his blood is still seen in our lives. That even when we do mess up, even when we do choose to make mistakes, we find ourselves in a situation where we didn't realize it was going to get that bad, we can continue to see the work of Christ in our lives, transforming us, shaping us to be more like him better reflecting the life that is within us, seeing that steady, if unremarkable, progress. Because he's in us. The light of the world is in us. He says, I in them and you in me. God in Jesus, God the Father in Jesus, Jesus Christ in us. Displaying that light. Shouldn't be able to hide that. What's inside should be revealed 
outside. So we ought to seek to be walking in the light. It's going to be seen, and then he's going to get the glory. Ultimately, he's going to get the glory for you walking in the light, displaying that light. But if we walk in darkness, if we choose to walk our own way and wander in the darkness rather than walking in the light, that lie is going to be seen. You can only hide that for so long. God already knows it. You can't hide anything from him. But here in our fellowship together as a body of believers, you can only walk that lie for so long before it's seen just exactly what it is. God sees, he knows, eventually the lie is seen by others, and it's seen for that, just a lie. And occasionally what we do then is then we try to lie to ourselves. We've been lying to others, but then we might lie to ourselves. Let's look at verses 8 through 9. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Were you ever told as a kid, don't eat the cookies that are on the counter? Okay, yeah, I'm getting Clayton's got a nice big yes, yes. Okay, so I've been there. Okay, so there's the cookies sitting on the counter. Mom says, don't eat the cookies. They're for after dinner. But you have to wait until after dinner. Then you can eat a cookie. And you stand there looking at those cookies and you start rationalizing in your head, those look really good. Mom did say they were for me. She did make them for me, to eat, to enjoy. I get to eat those cookies because she made them for me. So you start rationalizing. I've done this once or twice when I was little. You're rationalizing in your head, I can eat that cookie because mom made it for me. And you kind of forget the part or choose not to remember the part about after dinner. And you go and you eat one of those cookies. Well, then what happens is mom comes in and she sees you and she says, did you eat a cookie? And you say, no, I didn't eat a cookie because you've rationalized it in your head. You're lying to yourself. I didn't do something I wasn't supposed to do. Those cookies were for me, so I didn't do anything wrong. You've lied to yourself. But you've got that, you know, kids get that, like, cookie dribble that kind of goes down. It's chocolate, and it's coming dribbling down their face. It's all over their face. It's all over their shirt. It's, it's plain as day. You can see it all over. The lie's not working because it's visible as can be, and yet we continue to lie to ourselves to say, it wasn't that bad. You know, everybody's doing it. You know, it's okay. Everybody else is doing it. It's not that. I really enjoyed that. That actually was really good. God wants me to enjoy myself. You know, it's okay. God wants me to be happy, and this made me happy. So it's really, it, no, it's fine. It's not sin. We lie to ourselves. We lie to ourselves. But nobody's fooled by this. Nobody's fooled by that. They see the sin for what it is on us, just as plain as can be. The only ones that are being deceived are ourselves. We're only fooling ourselves in that. And quite often it is others that see sin in us first, and I'm thankful for that. And as believers, as a body of believers, brothers and sisters, in a loving way, in a kind way, not so much in a judgmental way, we need to call each other out on things, come alongside somebody and say, hey, bud, that's not right. This is something that's going on in your life, and it shouldn't be there. This is how that gets better. You ought to be able to come alongside one another and say, hey, this isn't good. We see it in other people often far quicker than we see it in ourselves because we try to lie to ourselves, we try to hide it. But why do we do that? Why do we try to hide those sins in our lives, try to convince ourselves it's not sin? Well, it could be pride. It could be shame. Maybe we really do feel bad about it. Guilt. Maybe it's just downright rebellion. We just don't want to believe that it really is everything that it actually is. We don't want to believe that it's actually sin. We'd rather stay in that lie than be convicted and know that it's really a lie. 
So what happens when we do that? What happens when we stay in that lie? We convince ourselves that this wasn't wrong. I didn't do anything wrong. This wasn't sin. Well, you start to see the effects of that. You start to see alienation, division, loss of fellowship within the church, and you physically start to feel it too. Um, Scientists and doctors have noticed that when you have guilt, your body actually feels that. You physically get sick. It affects your body. Sin is a serious thing, and we don't always want to admit that. We don't want to come clean and say, this actually is what it is. We'd rather hide away and not be confronted on our sin, even if it means a loss of fellowship, even if it means uh, alienation from our friends, even if it means physical harm to our bodies. We don't always want to deal with that. So what makes it better? Confession of sin makes that better coming clean on the reality of, yes, this is sin. Confessing that is what makes that better. David is a perfect example of this when he sinned against Bathsheba and Uriah. He's there up on the rooftop of the palace. He should be out in battle with his men, but he's not. This is the time when kings go out to war, the Bible says, and he's not there. He should be in a place where God wants him to be, and he's not there doing what God intended him to be doing with the role that he's in. And here he is, sees Bathsheba, he goes and he sins against her, sins before God and against her, then calls in Uriah to try to cover up his sin, doesn't go the way that he wants it to, and has Uriah killed at the hand of the Philistines, thinking, okay, it's covered up, it's not going to be a problem, nobody sees, nobody knows, it's going to be fine. Probably everybody already knew, and God definitely knew. And it wasn't until Nathan the prophet came to him and said, here's what you've done, God sees, he knows, here's what's going to happen, that David finally confesses his sin. And as a result, the baby that was born as a result of his sin, that baby dies. Sin is, is serious. The consequences are dire. It doesn't get better until sin is confessed. And we see David writing Psalm 51 as he's talking to God, confessing his sin, bringing it to God. That's not always easy, but it is the only way. We have to bring our sin to him. We see in Psalm 32 then another example, and I don't know if it's directly related to this same incident or not, but here's another example of what David says about unconfessed sin and what happens. So verses 1 through 5 of Psalm 32 Say, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and whose spirit there's no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Unconfessed sin is a bitter thing. It will steal your joy. It will steal your fellowship. It'll steal your health. The only thing that gets better is coming to Jesus, confessing that sin to him. Verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I have to bring our sins to him. The only way that this gets better is to bring it to Jesus, lay it all out on the table. He can take it. He can take it. You lay your sins out there in front of him saying, God, 
here's what I did. I know that's wrong. I know I shouldn't have done that. And the only way this gets better is if I bring this to you and I say, Lord, I'm sorry. I should not have done that. Forgive me. I know you love me. I know you will forgive me because your word promises that, but I'm confessing this sin to you. That's the only way that it gets better because he already sees. He already knows, but he sees and he knows not to condemn because Romans 8.1 says this, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He sees, he knows, there's no hiding from him. He is light. There's nowhere for you to be able to hide your sin from God. You can't hide anything from him. So he sees and he knows, but not to condemn, to forgive and to restore. That's why he sees, that's why he knows. He can forgive us and there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because of the work of Jesus Christ because we're children of God and we bear the righteousness given us through Jesus. We bear the righteousness uh, through his sacrifice, through his faithfulness. He's faithful and he's just to forgive. God's faithful to forgive because of what it says in Hebrews 8.12, which is a reiteration of Jeremiah 31.34. I'll be merciful toward their iniquities and will remember their sins no more. On what account? Why won't he remember our sins anymore? because of the work of Jesus Christ, because he took your punishment. He took your place. He secured your redemption, the forgiveness of your sins by his sacrifice. Here's what it says in Hebrews 9, 12. Hebrews 9, 12 says, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and of calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For a more full picture of that, go ahead and read the Gospels again and the accounts of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, and then come back to Hebrews 9 and 10 and look at those two chapters. God is faithful to forgive us for our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness because of the work of Jesus Christ. He's just to do so because of the work of Jesus Christ. Jesus fully and completely paid for the sacrificial requirement of the law and giving himself. The Old Testament law was that if your sins were going to be forgiven, you had to take a perfect spotless lamb and sacrifice that perfect spotless lamb on your behalf for your sins, but it only lasted for so long. It didn't last. You had to go do it over and over and over and over and over again. But Jesus, the perfect lamb of God, absolutely holy, pure God, perfect man was able to give his blood on the cross to pay the debt that you and I owed rightfully because of our sin. He took that on the cross. He paid that debt. He secured our redemption. So God is faithful and just to forgive. He would be unjust to not forgive us because of what Jesus has done. We wear his righteousness. There's nowhere for the stain of sin to stay anymore. When God sees us, he sees us, he knows us, but he sees Christ's righteousness on us. There's nowhere for that sin to stay anymore. Nothing left to be done. There's no way for us to pay for that sin debt in any way because he's already done that. We just accept the free gift he's given us. So there's nothing left to be done. So what's actually happening then when we confess our sin? What are we actually doing? Well, we're coming back in right step, right fellowship with God. He's gone nowhere. He didn't leave anywhere. He's been right there the whole time. 
Uh, Hebrews 13.5 says, I will never leave you or forsake you. He's not gone anywhere, but we've chosen to wander in the darkness rather, to walk in, rather than walk in the light. He's still been there waiting for us. He's seen. He's known. He's not been in darkness. There's nowhere where I can hide from God. Psalm 139 says, even the darkness is as light with you. There's nowhere where we can hide from God. He sees and he knows. And our confession of sin is coming back into right fellowship with him, saying, God, I went my way, and that's not good. That's wrong. You say it's wrong. I'm coming back into step with you and what your word says and what is right and what is good. So he says then that he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Remember that kid with the chocolate cookie? Had that stuff smeared all over his face and crumbs on his shirt. Now he's come back and said, I I sinned. I did what was wrong. I lied. I did eat a cookie when I shouldn't have. Mom says, I forgive you. Wipes off his face, brushes the crumbs off. He's forgiven. He's back in good fellowship again. There's nowhere for that stain of sin to cling because we wear Christ's righteousness. Are we going to suffer earthly consequences because of our choices to walk in darkness rather than walking in light? Yes, we will have to pay those consequences, earthly consequences. David's was that that baby that was born died. If I get pulled over for driving too fast, I deserve that speeding ticket. There are consequences, natural consequences for our sin. But when God sees us, he sees the righteousness of Christ because we've been cleansed. We've been forgiven. That's how Paul can say in 1 Corinthians 6.11, after reminding the Corinthian church of who they were before Christ, he can say, but you are washed, you are sanctified, you are justified you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God, cleansed, washed clean by the blood of Jesus Christ, sanctified, set apart for his use, but justified ultimately, above and beyond everything else, justified, declared righteous because of the work of Jesus Christ. So we can bring our sins to him. We can confess our sins to him. He can take it. He can take it. He promises to forgive, but we don't always want to do that. We often want to just hold on to those things. We don't want to bring them to him out of our our pride or our shame or our guilt. We don't want to bring those things to him. And we cheapen his sacrifice when we say to ourselves, God can't forgive me for this one. Or we say to somebody else, that was too serious. God can't forgive you for that. Whether we say that out loud or we're thinking that, we cheapen his sacrifice. He paid the debt for our sin. We were rightfully in prison with a death sentence on us for crimes that we had committed against God. Even the tiniest of sin is deserving forever punishment away from God in hell because of the holy perfection of who God is. We deserved that punishment. But here comes God to the door of our cell. We've accepted that gift of salvation. He comes to the door of our cell and says, you're free to go. If the Son has set you free, you are free indeed because of the work that he has done. On your behalf, he paid your debt you are now free to leave. And we're able to walk out of that cell where we rightfully were, but now the debt's been fully paid by Jesus, so there's nothing there to hold us in that cell anymore. He paid the debt. We're free. But when we don't want to confess our sin or we hold on to it, saying, God, you can't forgive me for this, maybe you're thinking of something right now to say, you know, man, that was a serious thing. I don't know if God can forgive me for that one. That was a big deal. It's as if we're walking back into that cell saying, thank you, God, but it's not enough, and you close the door. Sin is a serious thing. Sin is a big problem. 
but we have a good Savior who can forgive us for those things, no matter how big we think they are, no matter how terrible we think they are, He can forgive us for those sins because He is a greater Savior than we are sinners. He can forgive you for that sin. You have to confess that to them. And then He can set us free from that sin. In John 8, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, the scribes and the Pharisees that are there, and then the Jews. And then it even comes around to the Jews that did believe in Him through the words that He said to them. They believed in who He was. But then he says, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And they say, well, we've never been slaves to anybody. But what Jesus is talking about is their sin. They're still in the bondage of their sin. He can set them free from their sin. And if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. There's nothing that God can't forgive us for. There's nothing that we can hold on to that he can't forgive us for. We just have to say, thank you, Lord. You've done that for me. If you've set me free, I'm free indeed. No more lying to yourself about your sin. Confess that to him. We might lie to others about our fellowship, and then it's seen for what it is. We might try to lie to ourselves, but that doesn't last. Everybody sees it clear as day on our face. They see that sin, and we have to confess that sin to him. The only way it gets better is if we confess our sin to him. But a third lie is if we don't even want to confess our sin to him, then we have to lie to God himself. And this is perhaps the most destructive lie. So lying to God. Verse 10. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. When I worked for CEF uh, for so many summers and all throughout the rest of the year then as a staff member, we used this tool to be able to go out and share the gospel with people. So this is the wordless book. I've shown this before. I've probably used this example before. But this is the wordless book, five colors that help you to be able to share the gospel with somebody. And each of these colors represents a different truth about who God is, what God's word is, who we are, what sin is, what Jesus did to be able to pay for our sin, and then what we can do about that. And as I would share the gospel with somebody, I'd be going through each of these colors, talking through who God is, and then what he's done for us, and, and the truth then of who we are, and we would come to this page right there. It's a dark page, because we always talked about the darkness of sin. It's not about the color, it's about the reality of who we are without Christ. We're lost in the darkness of our sin. But I'd get to this point, and if I was going to have trouble telling this story to somebody and they weren't going to want to continue to listen, quite often it happened right there because I was confronting people and what the Bible says about their sin. And then they were having to face the reality of how serious their sin is. And not everybody wanted to do that. Not everybody wanted to agree that they were a sinner in need of a Savior. And if they couldn't agree with what God says in his word, that they were a sinner in need of a savior, I couldn't go any further with them in trying to convince them or talk through the gospel. Now, I would still lay out the gospel to them and say, perhaps God will convict your heart later. I don't know. But if he does, here's what you do about that. And I'd still give them the tools to be able to, at some point, if God convicted their heart, know how to respond to that conviction. But if they couldn't admit that they were a sinner, then they couldn't understand that they needed a savior. We sometimes lie to ourselves, lie to others, but we can't lie to God. If we say we have not sinned, we're not willing to admit that guilt. 
not willing to take God at his word, because that's really what's the heart here, saying we're not willing to take God at his word, that yes, I am a sinner in need of a Savior. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned, that's everybody. And if I'm not willing to admit that I'm a sinner, then I'm saying, God, you're wrong on this one. Maybe everybody else is, but you're, you're wrong on this one. I'm not a sinner. We're not taking God at his word. And ultimately, we're saying, God, you're a liar. You don't really know this, do you? You don't really understand me, God. Your word says this, but it's not really true about me. We're not taking God at his word. We're trying to make God a liar, and his word is not in us. Because either you take God at his word, all of it, or you don't. It's either all true or none of the rest of it is worth believing. It has to be all right. You have to take God at his word that he just exactly is who he says he is, and therefore we are just exactly who he says we are. Before Christ, we are sinners in need of a Savior. We make him a liar, and we demonstrate that we walk in darkness. It's just further proof that that's where we walk. We don't walk in the light, but we walk in darkness. We say, I haven't sinned. His truth is not in us. It demonstrates who we really belong to. We don't belong to God in the kingdom of light. We belong to the power of sin and death. That's the truth of it. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The wages of sin is death. That's what we earn. That's what we deserve because of our sin. That's how serious sin is. We don't always like to talk about that part. We don't always like to talk about sin, outside the church especially, but even within the church. We don't want to talk about the seriousness of sin because it's convicting. There's always something in our lives that we can look at and say, that didn't show Christ in the way that it should have. My attitude this morning was not what it should have been. My drive here was not what it should have been. The way I handled that situation was not Christ-like. There's always something we can think in ourselves and say, I know there's sin there. So we don't like to talk about sin. It's convicting because we, we aren't perfect yet. We're sanctified. We're justified. We're sanctified. We're a little bit more becoming more like Jesus. We don't like to talk about that sin. Sin is serious. It has to be talked about because the wages of sin is death, forever separation from God for eternity in a real place called hell. We don't want to think about that. We don't want to talk about that. But the consequences of sin are dire. Forever separation from God, the one who made you and loves you, separation from him for eternity. I can't think of anything worse than that. But we can finish the verse. It says, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Through Jesus, we can have that eternal life. Through Jesus, we can trust in him and have the forgiveness of our sins. Through him, we can walk in the light as he is in the light. We can have the eternal life because Jesus paid the price for you. There's no need to walk in darkness anymore. No need to walk in darkness. He's giving you that free gift of eternal life through his sacrifice on that cross, fully and completely paying the price of our redemption. He did that for you. He did that for me. If you're sitting here this morning and you've trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior, the only thing left to do then is to continue to walk in the light as he is in the light. Continue on that path. Walk in the truth and the character and nature of who he is so that his light might be seen. 
the truth of his word ought to be able to be flowing through you, transforming you, touching your head, your mind, touching your heart, but then changing the way that you live, that then you better reflect that light every single day. It's seen for what it is, the life of Christ reflected through you. Walk in the light as he is in the light. If you haven't trusted in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, whether you're here this morning or you're watching online, now is the time to do that. Now is the time to trust in Jesus because you don't know how much time you have. You don't know what will happen as you walk out this door. I made the meatballs this morning. You don't know what's going to happen when you eat those meatballs that we're going to have for the potluck in just a bit. We don't know how long our lives will last. Only God knows that. The Bible says today is the day, now is the appointed time, today is the day of salvation. You just don't know. Get right with God now. It says in Acts 16, 31, believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. He's paid the price for you. He paid the full debt for you that you might have your sins forgiven. You might be able to walk in the light as he is in the light. And he offers that free gift of salvation to you without price. He paid the price. It was very costly, but it cost you nothing. You accept that free gift of salvation for yourself. If you've never done that and you'd like to talk about that, I would love to talk to you about what it means to trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior for the forgiveness of your sins, or even to just be assured that that's a decision you have made in your life. Perhaps there was a time way back in your life where you say, I think I did that, but I'm not really living that way, and I'm really not sure what that should look like now, but I want to talk about that. I would love to talk to you. Any one of our elders here this morning would love to talk to you about that. Now is the appointed time. Today is the day of salvation. Make sure you get right with God today. Walk in the light as he is in the light. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Even the ones that convict us of hard things, Lord, your light shines in the dark. I can't hide anything from you. There's no way to cover things up. You see and you know, and Lord, there's great comfort in that when we walk in you. You see us for who we really are, and you love us anyway. So, Father, I pray that we would walk in the light, that we'd make a conscious decision every single day to continue to demonstrate the life of Christ that's in us, to shine that light in a way that others see that light and that you get the glory as a result of it. And for those that are listening this morning that have not made that decision, I pray that you'd, you'd touch their hearts and they would make that decision today. Father, I pray that you bless the rest of the time that we have together this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.